Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm sorry, Bernard, but you always saw the best in people. I always thought it was the hosts who were missing something who were incomplete, but it's them. They're just algorithms designed to survive at all costs. Sophisticated enough to think they're calling the shots. To think they're in control. When they're really just... A passenger. Hello everyone and welcome to Decoding Westworld, a recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the show. Today is our bonus episode, our season two postmortem. And this episode is brought to you by our guest today. Uh, this person made this episode possible. Will Wallace is a writer on the MTV original series Teen Wolf. Welcome to Decoding Westworld. How are you doing today, Will? I'm doing very well. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Doing good. good. At the beginning of the season, uh, we allow people the option to back us for a bonus episode for our Kickstarter. And Will was our uh, one and only backer. Because uh, there's only one slot available to uh, to do our bonus episode with us today. Uh, so, Will, you have supported us for a number of years, and we are extremely grateful for that. And thanks so much for uh, for supporting us on Kickstarter. But more importantly, just thanks for being a fan of the show. It, it means a lot. So, It is my absolute pleasure. I've been uh, listening to you all for quite a while now, like years and years and years over your many multitudes of uh, podcasts. And <laughs> I have enjoyed all of them. And so... When I saw, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to help support y'all, how could I possibly say no? Because it's so much fun listening to y'all. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And we're excited to dive into uh, kind of our season two postmortem with you. Uh, we got a bunch of emails to decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Um, and of course, you can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Before we get into any of the emails, a couple of uh, announcements I want to make uh, first of all, we uh, shouted out every, you know all the people who kind of backed us for the specific tier on Kickstarter uh, who requested a shout out. But there was one other shout out we wanted to give, and that was to a listener named uh, I'll just say Mark R, uh, who wrote into us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Not going to share his email because uh, it was a little personal, but suffice to say uh, the email was very sweet and uh, made it seem like our podcast had meant a lot to him and his family. So. Um, just wanted to say thanks for listening to Mark R. Uh, a lot of people actually said like they wanted to back us, but the Kickstarter was over before uh, they had a chance to. Maybe, Joanna Robinson, maybe next time we've got to give a little bit more lead time on that Kickstarter. <laughs> but, mm, maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, really appreciate everyone who is thinking of contributing, who wanted to contribute, and who did contribute. Um, but specifically to Mark R., who wrote into us uh, a few weeks ago. Thanks for listening, Mark. Thanks for being a fan. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've had a bunch of questions about like what Joanna Robinson and I are doing next and when the next time is we're going to talk about TV stuff. There are no immediate plans at this point, but I do think that it's 
uh, I, I would be willing to bet a lot of money uh, that Jonah Robinson and I will be back for the new season of Game of Thrones, the the final season. I think it's only six episodes, right? Um, yeah. Each of which is probably going to be pretty lengthy. We've been recapping that show for many years, and uh, that show will not debut again until 2019. Uh, but John Robinson and I will be there to recap it. So uh, you can find that show at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. Uh, but yeah, that's the next time. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, there might be something that we do together. Who knows? You never know. what. Maybe a, a show will come out that's just as provocative as Westworld and that will be like, we've got to recap this one. You can always follow us for updates. John Robinson's on Twitter, at Joe Wrote This, and I'm uh, on Twitter, at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. So... Uh, as we marinate on like last week's episode, you know, uh, last week's episode of the show Westworld, but also last week's episode of the podcast, Joe and I, you know, you and I probably have uh, some some things we thought went well during that episode. Like I was like s- still mind blown by your theory about like reducing budgets for season three. I thought that was really well done. But there's also <laughs> a bunch of also a bunch of regrets. You know, things I didn't want to uh, like. I wish we had gotten a chance to talk about. Uh, and even though we had a two hour long episode, we still didn't get to it. Uh, I, I have a couple things I want to talk about, but Will, was there anything from uh, last week's episode of the podcast or the show that you kind of wanted to dive into, or you're like, oh man, I wish we had a chance to talk about that? Uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, two things. Uh, uh, when Joanna started talking about budgets and all of that for uh, the third season, I I'm in complete agreement. Just because having worked in television, I I understand how. Sometimes uh, the budget and behind-the-scenes things can dictate where your story goes. And so as as I was watching the episode and a lot of people started dying, I was like, this feels <laughs> like it might be a budget thing. Uh, just because I, I knew uh, you know, it felt like maybe the ratings weren't as strong for this season as, as for the previous season. But um, also there are so many characters on the show, and they're all fantastic, but it's like – how do you keep the story momentum moving forward with so many characters? And are you going to stay in the park or, you know, is half of it in the park is half of it in the real world. And then once they started, you know, just killing off characters, I was like, Oh, I feel like we're probably not coming back to the park. Although <laughs> Maeve is still there, you know, with, um, uh, uh, with Felix and, and Lester. And so I was like, I feel like that's probably going to become a thing, but maybe, uh, maybe the park is gone for a little while, depending on how, how long they think the show is is gonna go? Maybe it'll all circle back around, uh, and the end of the whole series will will come back to the park or something. Right. Um, so you're you're and, in heated agreement with Joanna Robinson about her <laughs> season three occurrence. theory. <laughs> yes, yes, heated agreement yes. is is I, well put, well put. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Sylvester, I think you said Lester. Sylvester, think, yeah, yes, Sylvester, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a great. That was like one of my all-time favorite John Robinson moments in in podcasting. Was like I was just like, wow, all these pieces are falling together in a really interesting way, and it's definitely not something I would have come up with myself. Um, but yeah, the idea that that uh, part of the reason they're killing off so many characters seemingly unnecessarily is potentially to save on budget. Um, and it sounds like Will, you're saying that is entirely plausible based on your experience in the TV industry. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I, you know, not being in the park does save a lot of money. Uh, I bet it t- costs a lot of money to ship uh, the cast and crew out into the middle of the desert to shoot the show, which is what they currently do. Um, so yeah, if it takes place in the real world, season three, probably uh, a lot of money will be saved. Uh, okay. Uh, I had something I wanted to bring up. Like we we were so busy talking about the plot that 
there were a bunch of ideas, so many ideas raised during the season finale of Westworld uh, that we, we didn't even get to touch on. One of them was the title of the episode, which is called The Passenger. And this uh, title comes as a result of a, a kind of monologue, I think, that I, I think uh, it was Bernard that gave the monologue, right, about uh, free will. And right. uh, he's talking about how uh, – here, here we go. Um, I'm going to find the quote here. Um, they're just algorithms designed to survive at all costs, sophisticated enough to think they're calling the shots, to think they're in control when they're really just the passenger. Uh, so that's the quote from the show. And I found that idea to be extremely compelling. This idea that like uh, human beings have their own algorithm within them and whatever combination of motivations that algorithm is, the desire to sur- survive, uh, you know, self-aggrandizement, whatever – uh, things drive human beings that we are in some ways at the mercy of our desires and uh, that our experiencing of life is just like we are just passenger we are just passengers on the ship of ourselves uh, and that really we have no real control over our destiny uh, super compelling idea uh, Joanna Robinson let me ask you like did you think it was uh, did you think that the final episode it certainly introduced that idea, but do you feel like it brought it out? Do you think anything in the episode landed that? Um, if anything landed, I would say it was like the final Williams stuff. Maybe, maybe landed that a bit to show sort of the futility of trying to to break right. from your human coding. Yeah. But uh, what I really liked about it is because when when I saw the passenger as the title for the episode, I was like. We've been talking all season about, you know, well, first I should say, and and I said this last week as well, that like Kim Renfro from Business Insider sort of called the idea of Dolores being inside Charlotte's body. And so like, and, and she made a very compelling case. And so I believed her. And so I was like, okay, so in theory, this episode ends with Dolores getting off, uh, you know, out of the park, off the island in Charlotte's body. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, Dolores is the passenger. Like, mm. she's a passenger inside of Charlotte. Like, that's that's the titular passenger of the episode. And so when Bernard gave that speech and he's like, humans are the passenger, I was like, uh, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I kind of think that that's an interesting way. I think that that's intentional. It's sort of like in the traditional sense um, – Dolores is the passenger. Charlotte's body is the host. Dolores is the passenger, you know, like all this sort of stuff like that. But, uh, then, you know, general and Lisa Joy are like, no, we're going to make complicated even further. Say all humans are passengers, uh, to, uh, you know, whatever programming. I don't know if passenger is the word, the exact word I would pick. It, it, works best as something that maybe has dual meaning but i don't know if if we were just trying to define the concept that bernard is talking about i don't know that passenger is the word i would have landed on i I actually think it's a great uh term to use for that concept like Uh it's such a it's such a compelling idea that you know all the experiences you have in your life like your your body is just like a ship or a or a train car or whatever, and you're just kind of like on board experiencing everything, but you actually have no control over it. Uh, I, I just found the idea super compelling. It reminded me of a speech in Richard Linklater's film Waking Life. Did you ever see oh, that nice. movie? I did. And uh, there was a speech that a character gives. I mean, the whole movie is speeches, uh, very similar to the way Westworld is actually. And the speech is about how uh, 
your body is made up of uh, molecules that follow the laws of science, right? And, you know, it's, it's made up of, like, blood, blood cells and plasma and all this stuff and electrical signals and so on. And none of those cells and atoms are going to violate the laws of science, right? Nothing, like, they, they're all going to adhere to laws of physics and science and biology that we're, we're all aware of. There, there's nothing that you can change about that. So in many ways, um, like, you're, when, you're, when you emerge, you know, from your mother's womb and, like, are set on the path of life – uh, your cells are just following kind of a preordained set of actions, uh, and it, it reminds me of that, like that concept of like what really is free will, and, and do we truly have it? Will any thoughts on uh, the nature of humanity and free will? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Uh, wow. Well, um, I do like uh, you know I do like all that. Uh, what was said about human beings and and how they're kind of passengers on their own loop and all that um i I think it all sounds really good but um and 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 you know like uh like was said on the show that you know humans are basically broken down to this code which is in these books you know um and and which i find very interesting because i like that idea that um you know if you study a person long enough you can figure out what they're going to do maybe not exactly what they're going to say in a particular situation but how they'll react to the situation, either like positively or or negatively, so I I, I find all of that really interesting, um, and and uh, I think it's all very interesting about how like your body is made up of all these parts that obey laws, so you're not just going to fly apart at the seams or anything. Uh, but then also, you know, like how does that how does that idea work with like free will or or something, you know? So like. We're all the char- we're all the human characters, at least in Westworld, kind of like doing exactly what their loop programming, uh, you know, through biology said they were going to do. Like with, um, you know, like with Elsie at the end, you know, like was that what, uh, um, you know, was that the final betrayal that Bernard was told about, you know, or, you know, so it's just uh, I think it's a very complicated, a very complicated issue and. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where yeah. I fall in the spectrum of humanity. <laughs> well, no, that's a, that's an interesting thing for you to point out because, like, if it's true, if if it's true that we're all just passengers or whatever, and if uh, Ford has some sort of preternatural ability to understand people's programming, right. um, then you know, because he, you know, he used to write the narratives before Sizemore, like he is a study of human nature and stuff like that. So, like, if he does have the have this ability to understand human programming, then some of the predictions that he makes, like if we accept the thesis, you know, are less outlandish when he's like, well, I knew that they would, what they would do. You know, like we were all, you were always like, Dave, you were always like, how did he know that William was going to do that? And it's like, well, you know, if he's read his file, so he knows how he's going to behave and react to certain things. If we accept the thesis that that's like, we have no choice and that's what we're going to do. Then it, then it's like a little less bizarre all the times that he says that. And I agree. I agree with you. Will It's just sort of like, Ford kept saying, uh, Elsie will betray you. It's in her nature. It's in her nature. It's just what she'll do. And I'm just like, no, he's lying. Elsie wouldn't do that. And then like when she, when she crested that ridge standing next to Charlotte, I was like, she did it. She betrayed him. So I don't like anything that makes Ford right, to be honest with you. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that was one thing I wanted to follow up on. Uh, we also got a ton of emails, as I mentioned. And uh, John Robinson, I think there's something you want to address, right? 
Yeah. Okay. So I got, so we, you know, this, I would say (laughs) last week's episode of our podcast, Dave Chen was one of the more divisive ones that we've ever recorded. Do you think that that's true? Uh, I, at least for Westworld. Sure. (laughs) Like, okay. Jonah Robinson and I have been doing this for a really pretty long time. I was probably like, what, eight years, nine years, something like that. And, Throughout that time, we have had some real ups and downs when it comes to podcasting in general. And it's because we do these recap podcasts. Here's my thesis of this, right? Is we do these recap podcasts of these TV shows. And people listen to recap podcasts of TV shows most of the time because they're fans of the TV show, right? right. Most of the time, they, they want they, – they love the TV show. They want to hear someone who also loves the TV show you know, share in their love and talk about how much they love the TV show and why they love the TV show so much. And that's just not an experience that we provide. You know, like we, we talk about what we love, but we also talk about what we don't like. And, uh, and often, if the show takes a hard left turn in a way that we don't appreciate, like tonally or in terms of plot, um, we will express our displeasure on the show, and then listeners express their di- displeasure to us. And uh, they certainly express their displeasure this season uh, about our our views. More often, my views than your views, but uh, they were really not happy with um, you know some of the criticisms that we levied at the show this season. Uh, so that's the context under which the last episode of the podcast unfolded. And yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And I would say that like uh, you know it's been ups and downs and whatever, and like. Uh, I think Dave had his like most in conflict with what the viewers think episode this last week. Whereas I had mine years ago with season five of game of Thrones got got really bad. We both went through, we've both gone through this. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, at different times we will come, uh, at odds with the fandom, but, um, it was, it was, it was a bad week this last week for, for some of our listeners. And, and, you know, we, we we hear you. (laughs) Um, I just want to address a couple things actually that were that were addressed at me. Like people are like, oh, actually, I should say a lot of people are like, hell yeah, Dave Chen, give it to that show. I was so <laughs> mad at the finale, and I really wanted you to do that. We definitely got that. Someone called you, uh, what did they call you? They they called you the uh, MVP of exposing the Emperor's new clothes. The show <laughs> is what they called Dave nice. Chen, right? Nice. Um, and then there were a bunch of people who were like, Dave Chen, you're such a hater. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah right? Yep. And then I got also both sides where it was like, um, Joanna, you didn't do enough to like combat what Dave was saying. <laughs> and then also, <laughs> Joanna, you're a shill and a sellout. How dare you support that show? So, you know, like basically as divisive as the finale was, which Dave and I talked about, so too was, was like the feedback that we got for our episode. Yes. Um, that being said, I got like I got two sort of uh, notes that I would like to address. Uh, one I was like frankly a little offended by and I don't think is valid which is uh, one listener kind of accused me of going soft on the show in order to trade um, you know that softness for access to interviews for my day job at Vanity Fair Um, that is like a pretty serious accusation actually to levy at uh, any kind of journalist or critic Um, and if you know anything about me you'll know that um, I am honestly constantly at odds with HBO so like this currying favor with HBO is like not something I've 
uh, you know, I like them. I respect them. We don't always agree about things that I say about their shows. And so like, that's just historically been my relationship with that, with that network and most networks and like any critic, you know, like you're occasionally going to say bad things about a show or, or just, I should say, you're occasionally going to express, uh, you know, less than glowing opinions of shows. And that does not mean that publicity departments stop working with you. That's just not really for the most part how it works. Right. Yep. Uh, the other thing I want to say, uh, and this one, this this note comes from Abdullah Khani, and he said, "Who the one who called Dave uh, the MVP of exposing Emperor's new clothes of a nice. show?" Uh, Abdullah said, uh, "Joanna that will be on me- my tombstone." By the way. <laughs> he said, "Joanna, to me, you appear to have been more harsh in your criticism of Benioff and Weiss, the co-creators or co-showrunners of Game of Thrones, than any hand waving, etc., done by Noel and Joy. Basically, saying that I'm like." Uh, more more critical of Game of Thrones and and those creators and their missteps than I am of Westworld and those creators and their missteps. And uh, he sort of like brought up the idea. He, he sort of alluded to it, but I will more concretely drill down on this idea of like, are we inclined to be nicer to creatives that we like like as humans? Like I for for whatever problems that I have with the show they create. I am, I will admit, completely fascinated and 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 like enamored with uh, Jonah Nola and Lisa Joy. When I hear them talk about the show they want to make, which doesn't always align with the finished product that it gives in front of our eyes, I'm like, they're so smart and they're so interesting, and I like the way that they interact with their fandom, and I like all of this stuff. And I've, I have encountered this before with with the creators I like, like. Um, like I, I wasn't as over the moon about Baby Driver as a lot of film critics were, but I wasn't like on Twitter getting like really harsh about Baby Driver. First of all, I don't feel that harsh about Baby Driver, but also I was just sort of like, but I love Edgar Wright, and it's just like I, I see, I stated my opinion, which was like kind of a tepid one, and then I'm like not gonna hammer that because like why would I? Because I, I like Edgar Wright a lot, and I wish him success, you know, and so yes, does your personal affection for a creator occasionally flavor? the way in which you either talk about or absorb the art they've made. I, in an ideal world, probably no, but in reality, probably yes. And, um, with Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, um, I think probably there are ways in which my affection for the ways in which they interact with their fandom influences things. And I'm going to say one more thing and I'll stop rambling, which is this. There is another distinction between what Westworld is and what Game of Thrones is, which is that Game of Thrones is an adaptation of an existing material that I have a lot of affection for. And so that like puts me at at a different relationship because like Westworld is only ever what Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy are hoping it will be. Wow. Harsh <laughs> assessment of the Westworld original film, dude. No, I'm just joking. But that's I like mean, a that's like a loose adaptation. And I don't know anyone who like walks around with Westworld being that's like a yeah. I you're guess right. you're not I'm a Yul Brynner fan, Joanna. Um, um I, I don't have like a strong emotional attachment to Westworld the film, which was a loose inspiration for this film. Right. Versus Game of Thrones, which started as a quite a faithful adaptation. And then became a much looser adaptation. And while I don't have a problem sometimes with loose adaptations, I do have a problem with some of the ways in which Game of Thrones has been adapted. And so, uh, you know, the difference in quality over the seasons, as far as I'm concerned, and the ways in which it comes at odds with a book series that I have a lot of affection for, does position me sort of almost at some times against 
Royce and Benioff versus Mm -hmm. I'm never, never going to, I think, have that relationship uh, with Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan. So basically you're admitting to being human, you know, that we all (laughs) all have our human, like there's some, sometimes you are rooting for people to win. You're rooting for people to do well. And that, uh, that is a very human reaction and that can inform your reaction to a piece of art. Um, Will Wallace, let me ask you this question. I mean, I think I, I might have asked you this on a previous bonus episode before, but like, what has been your interaction with the Team Wolf fandom? You know, um, how, how would you characterize that interaction? And, and uh, you know, we, we've seen lots of models of how creators can interact with fans. Right, it can be like super intense and like here's you know here's a, like let me walk you through the 15 step process of writing this episode, or it can be like absolutely nothing. Um, and so, where do you kind of fall, and, and what's your interactions been like? Oh, uh, I love talking to fans. Um, it's not always the best experience, uh, just because uh, I think fandom is both the greatest and worst thing that can happen to stories, but. Um, I love talking to people who love things, you know, who love stories, you know, and getting to work on Teen Wolf is uh, was an opportunity to talk to just so many people who love the show, who love the characters I got to help write and and all that. So talking to them was fantastic. And I never, um, you know, I did my absolute best to not shy away just because when I was growing up and uh you know so so long ago uh i you know it wasn't you didn't you know being able to talk to creators wasn't as easy like you'd have to go to you know some kind of con or just bump into somebody you know like at the grocery store and ask them a question about the thing you loved so you know uh whenever you know um whenever someone asked me something on twitter or instagram i i definitely try to answer just because we can now and 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 it all really just boils down to I get to talk to someone who likes a story uh, that I got to tell, and it's very I'm very proud of that, and uh, so I try to do it as often as possible. And and at Teen Wolf, like all of us, tried to be as accommodating as possible. Like I remember we went to um, uh, wow back in I guess 2014 we went to a Teen Wolf convention uh, called BikeCon here in LA and it was fantastic because it was just nothing but fans for hours and hours and hours and just getting to talk to everybody and you know like the cast and and the writers who went you know just spoke to everyone they could you know that it was like hey if you've made the effort to come all the way down here then I'm going to talk to you you know and we're going to you know uh, talk about all these characters so I I very much like being able to uh, have a some kind of relationship with uh, the audience. And I think uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy have done a really good job with that uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the way that they, there's just something like, once again, maybe it's not entirely fruitful to, to compare these two creators so, so closely, but I I will say this, like uh, the way that Jonathan Nolan, Lisa Joy, like go on Reddit, is a different approach to fandom interaction. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And um and I find it very sweet and charming and and healthy. And uh well it's funny, you know, cuz like occasionally you'll you'll tweet at me and um or you'll retweet something uh that I've said on Twitter. And then 
always in your mention are Teen Wolf fans being like, "Oh, <laughs> uh, what's going on? What's happening with Styles?" Or like whatever. I mean, like even now that the show is like over, like you know, like they're still like uh, your mentions are forever Teen Wolf fans. No matter what you've said, it has nothing to do with your show. They'll be like, "But what about my favorite character?" And I'm always curious, you know, like uh, you've already said you like it, and so like that's great. But I'm just like, I I see this on uh, like celebrity Instagrams too. It's like no matter what they post, there's like hundreds of comments of people being like but what about x fan thing that i care about and people have like alerts on their phones and they're just ready to talk about this and i i feel like i would get overwhelmed by that but you handle it like beautifully so do you ever find that tiring or are you kind of like you you energized by it uh it's never tiring um it is (laughs) it is sometimes um dumbfounding in places (laughs) just because like i'll post something about how it's terrible to tear families apart at the border and how terrible things are happening with our government and then oh i'll get a notification and it's someone saying but did scott and allison really love each other on Teen Wolf? <laughs> and, I, and i just want to i just want to like you know send them back a gif of just someone staring really hard you know whatever and and so like those i don't i don't interact with that just because i'm like that's not what we're talking about right now just tweet at me if they just just send me a tweet and i'll answer that so that's always i find hilarious and aggravating uh and it's just because there's always some you know they they always you know it's because and it all comes from love you know they just want to talk about the thing they love even if the thing you're currently talking about has nothing to do with it um it's very odd but well we're inspired by uh you know your ability to keep engaging with people i mean i'm exhausted just from the last week joanna robinson and we're not even doing the show we're just doing a podcast about the show (laughs) um so will you're an inspiration to us all i think like on a a micro level you know joanna robinson and i have had that problem on occasion in the past where like if one of us ever wants to start a podcast we'll get like dozens of tweets being like well what about joanna robinson doing the podcast with me david or vice versa um, you know, that's basically how this podcast wound up happening. Dave was going to do this <laughs> podcast with someone else, and Twitter's like, "Yeah, but what about Joanna?" Yeah, now? actually, that's true. That is true. That's exactly what that's happened. With literally this true. Yeah, that's that's actually what happened. Um, but but don't say that, Joanna, because you're you're just telling them that they're um, <laughs> they have the power. <laughs> they have the power to influence our podcasting decisions. Um, okay, David Hunter from the United Kingdom writes into decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Uh, I can't believe you put this in the show notes because I'm like, when I saw this, I was like, this is a ridiculous request. But you're up for the task. David Hunter writes in, quote, I would really love it if Joanna could just do us a season recap in a couple of sentences, end quote. So can you recap the entire season of the show? You have not written anything down. You're extemporizing here. Yes. Recap season two of Westworld in, what do we call it, three to four sentences? Uh, Three or four sentences. (laughs) Great, I can do this. Yeah, okay. Um, Pretend like we're about to go on NPR like we like we did earlier this season. And you no, need to because... recap the entire season. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do three sentences. Okay, okay. okay. Here we go. <clears throat> They're going to have a word in front of them with like a colon and then the sentence. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Are you just going to use a bunch of semicolons? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not claiming that they're grammatically complete sentences. Okay, okay, okay. but I'm going to try. Okay, here we go. Uh, background. <laughs> we find out how the Delos Corporation invested in the park, 
how Williams <laughs> and how Williams <laughs> Delos project grew and how Akichita of Ghost Nation had a parallel discovery of some of the mysteries of the Westworld Park. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Wait, are you done or was that one sentence? No, that's that's uh, okay. that's one. <laughs> okay, gotcha. All right. So far so good. Um the middle. In the <laughs> In the wake of the death of Robert Ford, a number of forces, including Dolores and some hosts and Maven pursuit of her child and William are drawn to one place called the Valley or the door or the forge, depending on your point of view. Uh, the end, Colin. <laughs> Wait, that's the whole thing? No, the end. This is the last of the third part. Oh, oh okay, 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 okay. I thought you were saying the end. I'm done. Okay. No, Dave was like, are you sure you don't want to write this, write this down? I'm like, no, it'll be hilarious for me to try to do it on the fly. Maybe I should have listened to Dave. Okay, the end, Colin. No, no, you're good. Keep going. Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. Everyone converges on one location. <laughs> Many people die. Dolores and Bernard make it off the island. William is stuck in a loop forever in the future. Hmm. The okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Woo. Well done. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. You know, you missed a few. Just one or two. Uh, just one or a couple two details. Things. Yeah. But that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. Elias, Masha, and the chat go, oh, okay. That's contrast- contrasting messages from Elias. who was like, oof. And then, so good. Yeah. So, so um, good. So good. <laughs> that's a ups and downs. Ups and downs is what that was. Yeah. yeah. Huge roller coaster. Okay. Uh-huh. Sarah uh, Wingo writes into decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Uh, Having now listened to the finale episode, I understand the reason people have been frustrated with Dave, but I just want to say that I feel a lot of sympathy for him. While I did not have the same experience Dave had with the show this season, I know exactly how it feels to desperately want to like or connect to a show but not be able to and ultimately feel like it had betrayed me. In many ways, it is so much harder to have this experience of wanting to enjoy and not being able to than it is with a show that you didn't really care about to begin with. It's been a delight experiencing this season with both of you. Thank you so much for all your hard work. End quote. I think, great email from Sarah. And yeah, Sarah captures, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the challenge of watching a show like Westworld and not liking it, which is that the potential is so ridiculously high and the highs are so amazingly high. And when it doesn't really connect in the end, it is immensely frustrating in a way that, you know, if it was a show that I didn't care about, uh, I wouldn't feel nearly as bad. So, uh, Will Wallace, we haven't really spoken about your opinion about the season finale. What did you think of Westworld season two, uh, episode 10? Oh, I, I liked it very much. Um, I I really liked how all the stories came together. Um, I thought all the performances were fantastic. The production of the episode itself was fantastic. And, uh, I, yeah, overall, I really liked it. The season as a whole, a little spotty on, but the finale I liked very much. All right. Well, what did you like most about it? Uh, the size. I liked – I loved – I'm a big fan. If a story has these two things, I'm going to watch. And those two things are a big cast and scheming. 
you're probably going to get me to enjoy your story in some capacity. And Westworld has plenty of that. But I, I loved just how everything came to a head. I liked how all the stories came together. Um, and slowly, one by one, they all kind of met their end. And then we had just our the end of this season with, you know, um, uh, with Dolores in Charlotte's body, getting on the boat with the, the purse full of um, pearls. And then now she and Bernard are out in the real world with someone in Charlotte's body. And uh, overall, I liked how all that came together. I liked how all how the episode started with just a giant cast and then slowly it whittled itself down to one basic storyline. And and how basically saying that this is the most important story of the entire show and that's what's going to take us into the next season. Um, so that, that's really what I liked. Um, well, like one thing that I continually get more appreciation for <laughs> as we continue to podcast, John Robinson, is uh, how vastly different people are, and and how vastly differently they experience a, a you know a work of art. You know, uh, obviously, I knew this was true. You know, many for, I've known this is true for many years. But uh, I watched the season finale. And I'm like, there is no way your reaction to that episode can be anything other. Than blinding rage and frustration, right? <laughs> like when I, as I'm watching it, that's that's what I'm thinking. And then, of course, you discover that there are actually, you know, certainly huge swaths of our audience of thousands, you know, uh, really truly loved it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is just it's it's f- so fascinating to me this uh, like how our empirical reality of like our experience of the show can be so different. Um, but that is what makes the tapestry of humanity so beautiful. You know what I mean? Anyway, uh, so there are a couple of like plot-related emails here. Uh, so Donna Shattuck writes into uh, decodingwestworld.gmail.com uh, talking about like the, the, the host pearls, the chestnuts, the mind eggs in uh, Charlotte or Holoris's uh, bag at the end uh, she's on the boat and there's a question of like um, aren't there really six like you, you said there were five but aren't there really six because she's a host and also Kimberly Maleka wrote in about like where did Char- uh, Holoris get the pearls the mind eggs the, sh- the chestnuts um, what are your thoughts on like the, the provenance of the mind eggs yeah I think that's I think that's right that there's actually six hosts out there in the world uh, that there's three, that there's basically three question marks, uh, or, or three, three complete question marks, one half question mark and Bernard and Dolores. So we have Bernard Dolores, the creature that's inside Charlotte Hale to use a Nolan joy, uh, <laughs> term and, uh, and then three question marks. So, and then where do they come from? Like, and then whoever they are, uh, they are, um, I just need to be clear. I don't need to be, but I'm going to be clear about like a couple, a couple rules, which is that you you can't just print a new host pearl because they destroyed uh, the cradle. There are no hosts in the forge. You can't print a a pearl out of the forge, right? You you can print a human consciousness out of the forge, but you cannot print uh, a, host out of the forge and since the cradle is destroyed there's just like one copy so people are like okay sure one copy of teddy is in the valley but like what if she just printed another no there's like the rules are and unless they change the rules between seasons which they might the rules are you only got one brain now (laughs) 
and in, or, if in order to have it, you need to rip it out of someone's head, which we see them do multiple times in the finale. Dolores rips Teddy out of his head. Um, Bernard takes Dolores's out of her head. Like this, you got to rip that like that that ball out of the head, and that's how you take it, right? So whoever these extra four people, the three complete mysteries plus the one in Charlotte, whoever they are. Dolores has gone around and ripped them out of people's heads in the park. Who would she like rip pearls out of their heads? I don't know. I don't I actually don't have any satisfactory answers for that because like she doesn't have a close personal relationship with like Hector or Armistice or Hanario, which are like popular guesses from people because those are characters that people want to see come back. She doesn't really have a close relationship with, with Clementine plus Clementine feels like really corrupted at this point, but like she did, Clementine was one of her henchwomen this season. Um, she could take Maeve. I feel like they're leaving the door open that like she could have taken Maeve or they leave Maeve in the park that it could go either way. I just, I, I feel, and I think I said this in the last episode, I feel very strongly that Nolan and Joy haven't decided yet who they want those <laughs> people to be. And so they're just like leaving the door open for a bunch of different possibilities. Uh, you know, that's, that's my, yeah, maybe we could ask Will, who's an expert. Like, <laughs> is, is it true sometimes that you end a season and you don't necessarily know what you're going to do the next season? So you, in your finale, you leave yourself some options. Does that feel true? One hundred percent. Sadly, that's that's the way it is. And I I think you're correct. I think the I think uh, uh, I think uh, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan don't know exactly who they want to be in there. And so we know, too, for a fact, you know, with Dolores and Bernard. And then we have four others. They could be literally anyone. And um, I'm excited to see who it is, but I'm also at the same time not excited to see who it is. Just because I I feel like in instances like this, you're going to have to stretch, uh, uh, I guess, like credulity with the storytelling itself. You know, kind of like with or at least in my opinion, with Battlestar Galactica, where it's like, oh, some of these people are Cylons, right? secret Cylons. And then it's like, well, then when you've said this person's a Cylon, it makes, that doesn't make any sense with what came before, you know, type of thing, you know, and it's like, and so I'm, I'm worried about that, but I, I trust, I trust them a lot to hopefully not be as bad as some other shows have been in the past when it comes to, you know, oh, look at this surprise and all the things you have to, you know, forget happened to make this surprise work and stuff like that. So, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, I think they're leaving the door open for. I think um, uh, I, I want to agree with you and sort of slightly modify and say, like, uh, I think the some of the accusations that have been levied at Westworld is that they will sort of have these major logic gaps. But what I think is true is that they're not such irresponsible storytellers that they won't have an explanation for something you just might not be convinced by the and and you didn't say that i'm just saying like i'm thinking of like ryan murphy uh yeah i'll throw him under the bus why not ryan murphy (laughs) sometimes like episode to episode on like american horror story is one thing but like glee was even a more egregious example where there would just be like massive massive logic gaps between episodes and like glee didn't care about explaining it and it's just sort of like whatever you don't interrogate it just like keep going and it's fine and, and major inconsistencies and i think that westworld the, the storytelling that's happening in westworld 
um, isn't so uh, sloppy as that at all. But it's just like sometimes they they will put in an explanation for something that you're like, yeah, I'm not I'm not certain that I buy that. And they're like, yes, but this is how we explain it. And you're like, OK, uh, OK. Or, or you're Dave and you're mad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, you know? those are definitely the only options. Um, <laughs> so do we have any theories as to why uh, Dolores put herself into a host that looks like her versus staying in Charlotte Hale's body? It feels like uh, one is likely to arouse much more suspicion than the other in the real world. I have a theory about that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if this theory makes any sense at all uh, uh, based on something Joanna said a few minutes ago that I hadn't thought of. But um, <laughs> I think Charlotte Hale is in Charlotte's body. Um, and I think that just because whatever Dolores' plan is, I'm sure Delos is part of it. Like having needing knowledge of Delos will be part of it in some way. And... and Charlotte Hale is already a, a member of the board and will have lots of knowledge on the inner workings of Delos and, and things like that. And I was thinking, is the best way to get her to help you is to turn her into the thing she despises so that now your plight is her plight and she has to help you in order to stay alive? Um, I'm not sure if that actually makes any sense at all, but um, that was the first thing that popped in my head when I saw uh, the episode. I think one question I have is, you know, a lot of people pointed out that uh, Dolores was reading, you know, all these books of humans right. uh, in the forge or whatever the hell, you know, whatever you want to call that place she was in. Um, the forge. The forge. And, uh, and like, one of the books was Charlotte Hale. It had Charlotte Hale on the spine of the book. And so does she absorb all of Charlotte Hale's memories when she reads the book, or is it just like Charlotte Hale, like what what animates her, or what Charlotte Hale is going to do in any given scenario? Yeah, her um, core her core programming, how yeah. she's likely to respond. I interpreted that as how this particular uh, critter, this passenger, is likely to respond to any given scenario. Mm. This is their programming. Right. That was sort of like part of the whole speech that the AI version of Logan did, which was like. Um, Oh, which I think one of our listeners like uh, said we should have called him Fogan, but that's like that's a <laughs> that's a that's a sweaty spoken joke. That's a good written joke, and it's it's mm. hard it's hard to like say Fogan and and make the A U X heard. But anyway, um, the that AI Logan was talking about how like you know human programming is actually quite simple, and it's just a few lines of code, and that's all you need to understand how they will. You know, we advanced AI robotic minds all we need are these few lines of code to crack any given human so whether once again whether or not you buy that is is up to you um will i i want to give you a little like taste of what it's like to put a crackpot theory out in the world uh on on a podcast matthew coleman in our chat room goes to your theory goes what you crazy will <laughs> and then he goes and then he goes i love that theory so it's a roller coaster in that sense yeah crazy will yep. i love that theory so. I, yeah i mean i asked the question because it's like if it's all her memories then she wouldn't need to put charlotte hale into her own body and subjugate her somehow um but if that's not the case then uh, your theory might be true will so i think i think that lisa joyce said that they're hosts not humans in those bodies but um i think you're right will that she will need charlotte hale's information 
uh, in order to go forward. So whoever is in Charlotte Hale body, Hale's body, I imagine will have to like keep impersonating Charlotte uh, via like uh, or through some sort of corporate espionage plot. Um, but I don't know if it's actually Charlotte. But if it is, we will remember this moment two years from now when season three happens and we will give Will credit for it. So. Nice. Oh. Uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> a couple of other minor plot questions that people had. Um, well, was, uh, one thing that a couple of people brought up in response to my comments last week about uh, Will slash the Man in Black was um, I, I had said, oh, I, I wish they had like there had been some kind of reckoning with the Man in Black and. And some some people said, well, of course there's no reckoning or catharsis is because the dude's a sociopath, so uh, he's not going to feel anything bad like that he killed his daughter. His, he killed his daughter. You know, I, I was saying like I wish that the fact that he had killed his daughter there had been some recognition of that in the show. And people were saying, well, of course it's not going to happen. And uh, I would say I'm aware that he's a sociopath and he's evil and kind of completely deluded. And and the fact that. Uh, there is no feeling, you know, in my opinion, still needs to be a moment. Uh, or the fact that there is no reaction still needs to be a moment. And this show did give it a moment, it, you know, by giving us a crazy twist ending, in my opinion. Um, but that was what I was complaining about. So I did want to clarify yet another thing that I wasn't happy with about the episode. But um, a couple of uh, final plot questions, mostly having to do with Season 2, Episode 9. A lot, uh, Alan Buxton asks... Um, what was the point of Ford's one last game? Did I miss the answer? Was he just screwing with William's delusional state? Did he want William to burn it to the ground? It's the biggest question I don't believe we got an answer to in season two. Um, also, Kim Chipman asks, um, why did Ford tell William that his side broke the agreement not to interfere with the work? Uh, so, Jonah Robinson, any uh, answers to these questions? Yeah, I gotta say, I don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> to either of them? <laughs> um, I don't know that I understand. Um, why did Ford tell William that his side broke the agreement not to interfere in his work? What interpretation of that is like we know in – we don't know exactly when that cocktail party happened. Uh, it's the night – it's the night that Juliet committed suicide. And we know that after that, the men in black went into the park. So like we, that's where it is in the timeline is when, um, Ford says that to William at, at that party in the bar. Um, but at that point was Delos already trying to oust him because in season one, remember there's a whole stuff with Teresa and then Charlotte about like trying to get Ford out, uh, because he was an unreliable actor and that they wanted like control, full control of the park. Right. Mm -hmm. That was a whole plot of season one. And so if that's the case, if uh, Charlotte and Teresa, et cetera, were already trying to push Ford out of his own park, then he was well within his rights to say, like, your side broke the agreement not to interfere with my work and I wouldn't interfere with your project. You know, mm -hmm. so that's a possible interpretation of that. But I don't know timeline wise if that a thousand percent lines up. And then what one what, final what, game, one final game, right? one um, final game. Uh, like I have some questions about when that happened and uh, you know, like was Ford's game because he understands William's psychology so beautifully was his game, uh, a, a was the final intention to push 
William to murder his own daughter? Is that Ford's game? Like that's, I mean, Ford has certainly advocated for the death of plenty of other humans. So it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility, but that's so dark. If he put, if he put William on this path and like, uh, helped foster this paranoia in William, which she does all through Ford definitely does all through the season uh, in cropping up in these various characters. So, so then at that point, William thinks every, every person he meets is Ford somehow. It was that the game. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I, mean, Ford, I don't Ford know. Was clearly an unbalanced individual, you know, yeah. like he, yeah. He was set on liberating all the robots, uh, even if it meant murdering dozens and dozens of humans, you know? And so the idea that he wants to put William through one final game where, uh, William, like, may- maybe William interfered with him somehow and, you know, uh, now he wants to pay him back in the most twisted and torturous way possible, it seems completely possible to me. Uh, but I agree that it's not super clear in the show, uh, although maybe people will have differing interpretations. Um but yeah, Will, any opinion on what Ford's one final game was? I was honestly stumped by all that <laughs> as well. And and if I if the idea was to if the final game was to drive William somehow insane, I think that I think I like that idea. But if the idea but if, if the game was to drive William so insane that he kills his daughter, that seems just evil very very evil granted you know like you've said uh you know ford had no problem killing other people but i feel like i feel like when those people he saw those people as expendable because there was this greater thing happening like it was the birth of a new life form yeah you know and so like that i i don't understand completely but i can kind of see his mentality behind that but you know i mean just just you know, fucking with William so much that he kills his own child, that seems like a bit too far, <laughs> you know, and not not something I don't know if, like, you know, you could come back from, you know, because, I mean, that's just mean and cruel and evil, you know, and, and but otherwise, I, I was stumped by that part of the episode as well, because also, like Joanna was saying, like, I'm unsure of the timeline, and, 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 and obviously, you know, that scene happens the night Juliet kills herself, which sends William on his destructive rampage through the park that begins you know the whole journey for the maze and all that but it's like there's just a lot of unanswered questions and it's hard to tell what game we're talking about and exactly what ford was doing ever sometimes so uh yeah i'm i'm at a loss but <laughs> all right well i, I think that's i think that's like a really reasonable reaction yeah. to westworld season two to completely 100 percent. 100 percent uh, all right. Well, we're we're wrapping up here, so I think like it's it's time for us to to deliver any any closing statements we might have about Westworld season two. Like a, a, any any final reflections. Uh, you know, Jenna Robinson, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to say something that I really like about Westworld season two. What? Which is uh, I, I'm I, I, it sounds like I'm giving a backhanded compliment, but I'm really not. I think that th- this season had some of the best marketing I've seen for a season of television uh, ever. And, and I think it was exceptionally well marketed. I have watched the teaser trailer for season two, no joke, like 30 or 40 times. Like that's how much I'm a fan of how well that season uh, is put together. All the like next time on previews, I go back and watch them or the pre, even the previously on are like really well edited together. 
like all the marketing around the show, the the behind the scenes looks at the show. There's like a new featurette every single week. Uh, it just like overall is like a really immersive TV watching experience, just separate from the actual content of the show itself. And so I think they they did a really great job with that. And um, ultimately, that's how I'm going to choose to remember the show um, as like is really really slickly put together and really generous with um with the fans so john robinson any any thoughts you have to share about season two before we wrap it up here one consistent message that i've been getting from people not consistent sorry one message that i've been getting from people nope i'm going to complicate that even further (laughs) i will say we've gotten some feedback from people listening to the show saying like they wouldn't they wouldn't watch the show without our podcast or they wouldn't be able to understand the show without like um, the, the, the various bloggers who write, you know, explainer posts or uh, the various podcasts that exist that they, they, they felt like they needed supplemental material uh, in order to understand the show still. And yet I've heard from people like a friend of the show, Neil Miller from Fil- a film school reject fame who did no homework, who just sort of let the season wash over them and they didn't feel confused in the finale and they didn't feel frustrated by it. So it might be, I'm not advocating anyone watch Westworld without listening to our podcast, obviously, but it might be that <laughs> to a certain degree, a little less engagement in Westworld might yield a better viewing experience that like, you know, and, and Sonia Soraya wrote a similar uh, thing in, in her season review of the of the show over on Vanity Fair, which is just sort of like this idea that if you let it wash over you, like I was talking about with David Lynch and Twin Peaks, if you let it wash over you as more of a mood piece than anything else, um, then maybe you have a better shot of enjoying it and not getting bogged down in the details. Um, something that one more friend of the show, Matt Patches, uh, said on Fighting in the War Room, his podcast this week was about... Um, Whenever people sort of uh, give that feedback, and and sometimes they do, which is like, man, why do you have to be so critical? Why don't you just turn off your brain and enjoy it? Just turn off your brain and enjoy it. And and Patch said something that I've like never thought about in terms of that statement, which is um, he's like, you know, some films get me to turn off my brain because I'm just enjoying it so much. I yeah. don't have to overthink it. And it just sort of like shuts off that critical side of your brain because you're just sort of like – yeah, you know what? I was just there for the ride and I was enjoying myself. And like and then some films and TV shows uh don't do that. And I mean like I don't think Westworld is ever asking you to turn off your brain because it's like trying to provoke thought and trying to like uh, you know present a tangled mystery for you to unravel and all this sort of stuff like that. So like uh there are some pieces of art where I can just go in and be like, you know what? I had fun. Yep. Nope. That doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense at all, but I had so much fun. And, uh, Westworld is not that show for me, but nor do I think it wants to be. So, I, you know, this is, (laughs) this is a tweet that really sums up this season for me, Joanna Robinson. And I, I don't think it's mean. It's just, it's just descriptive. If that makes sense. It's by Wensler powers. Uh, if you know him, he tweeted this on May 22nd. He's like – he's kind of writing this like a script. HBO pitch meeting. Producer. So basically the show is about a bunch of robot cowboys that fucking fight each other. HBO executive. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. Producer. It won't be. That's the, that's the whole tweet that has 32,000 likes 
and uh, three and a half thousand uh, retweets. And uh, I think that is both a positive and a negative. You know, you'd think this premise would be like, oh, crazy and fun and exciting, and and it is th- those things much of the time. But it's also extremely cerebral and extremely plot heavy. Um, in a way that uh, a lot of people might not be expecting just based on, on the premise itself. So, Will Wallace, any closing thoughts for us on either the, uh, uh, the episode of the show uh, of Westworld or the podcast? Uh, I, I want to, uh, I guess, touch on something you said, uh, David, about uh, the uh, previously ons and next time ons. Um, I'm an ardent... I don't want to say hater, but hater of previously ons and uh-huh. next time ons. Um, I just, they never don't give something away, you know? Right. Um, About like what and, is coming on this episode. Right. right. Like yeah. what's like, oh, this character's coming back or this is going to happen, you know? And I, I just hate them very much. Um, <laughs> but I did like this season when they started doing them. Um, I now, now, I never watched any of the next time ons, but um, the previously ons, I don't know if they did that. Uh, as well but with the previously ons for this season they started doing them all musically yeah where um, there's really no dialogue or if there is dialogue it's one line that's important that i thought was just fantastic and hopefully one day uh i'll i I desperately want to have my own show and to run my own story and and all that but i and i if that happens i will definitely push for our previously ons and next time ons to be um wordless and just visual and musical um because i found that much more interesting interesting than just here's all the pertinent dialogue you need to have to understand what's coming next and um so i thought that was fantastic um i think my my one uh my one big problem with this season was i loved all of it but i thought and i thought i found the reveal of um of dolores inside charlotte's body was fantastic but uh, I think the cost of getting us there, for me at least, was a little too high uh, story-wise in that there was so much confusion about when things were happening. And it was only exacerbated by and, – and Joanna, you talked about this. Everyone looks the exact same all season long. And, um, and you know, for a while, Charlotte had a bulletproof vest on. And I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of – figure out when we are in time but even then that went away and i think um the story of this season maybe was compromised a little bit just by how complex it had to be to keep a secret a secret and um uh i hope moving forward with the show they'll maybe not lean into that as much as possible um i found the reveal very interesting when it happened, and I liked it all because now I can look back and see, like, oh, is this Dolores or is this Charlotte? Um, but I, I think sometimes the the machinations it takes to get to a reveal or a surprise uh, in a show or in a story uh, might cost too much um, as far as, like, story real estate or the time it takes to think about something or confusion. Um, but otherwise, I I liked pretty much everything this season and uh i look forward to where it's going wherever it's going next year although i do hope um i i would love if if uh jonathan nola and lisa joy did an official timeline for this season just so they can be like this is how it all played out linearly um uh although i did very much enjoy um uh uh, kim renfro's work over at uh insider i believe doing her timeline because after every single episode i'd I'd immediately go look 
and see how things were supposed to lay out, or at least how she thought things were going to lay out chronologically. Yeah, and, Kim Kim did yeah. a really good job, but Kim does still have some. You know, she was she was responding to one of our listeners today, in fact, on Twitter about like how she still has some question marks about things because she's like she did an amazing job. Yeah, but there are things that they like still have not quite confirmed. So I agree with you, Will, that it would be so useful to have like an official, official um, timeline of which there would probably only be like five differences of Kim's timeline, but like those five differences just to know and have it like nailed down, you know, sort of thing would be. Yeah, absolutely. No, every time I read that, every time I would look at the timeline, I would say, Oh, is that when that was, you know, just because you're, you know, again, everyone looks the same and everyone acts the same. Mostly. Um, so it's hard to tell. Um, and something, Joanna, y- you were saying, like how this show and Game of Thrones and, and how other shows now, like there's this whole cottage industry about podcasts and articles, you know, kind of breaking down the episodes. And it does feel like a little bit maybe uh, Jonathan Nolan and, and Lisa Joy leaned into that a little bit where it's like, oh, well, it's OK if the if the episode is confusing because someone's going to talk about it oh and also on on our youtube channel we're going to have a video that explains everything and i i wasn't so much a fan of that like um i'm not a fan of doing homework when it comes to uh, i guess like the story i'm trying to or the story i'm enjoying or whatever um where it's like hey if you didn't understand it go over here to the supplementary material like i remember um years and years and years ago uh the guy who directed donnie darko whose name is is eluding me at the moment there it is. Richard Kelly did Southland Tales, yeah. and uh, it, in my opinion, was just god awful. And uh, and someone asked him, like in an interview, that's like, you know, the story was confusing and all that. He goes, "Oh, well, you have to go over here and read this graphic novel, you know, and that will help, you know, shine a light on things." And I was, and I just remember feeling, like, I don't want to do that homework, you know. Not that I don't want to enjoy more of a story, but it's like I feel like the story needs to stand for itself, and. Um, and like all the stuff you're supposed to take from it should be in the season or the episode or the book itself. But um, I still really love this show. <laughs> yeah, to, to, to shout out to shout out um, the fighting fighting in the war room podcast one more time on this podcast, um, and to follow up on something you said, Will. Katie Rich um, had this really good, I thought, cogent description of of one of the flaws. I think that happened in this season as a result of them wanting to hide the Charlotte Hale Dolores twist, which she called the Charlotte character inert um, this season. And I think that's such a good description of what was happening with like a character played by such a great actress as Tessa Thompson, that, that Tessa Thompson was doing an incredible uh, Evan Rachel Wood impression for some of the season and that she was, um, but like, if you go back and watch Charlotte Hale in season one, she's actually like, I find like her super fun and like really dynamic and like, sure. The circumstances are very different. Like then she was like felt powerful and in control and here she doesn't feel in control. But I, I feel like we could have gotten like, I think she turned down the noise on Charlotte on the Charlotte Hale scenes so that we wouldn't be so confused by, or, or, or so suspicious of the Dolores inside Charlotte scenes and that just like rendered that character really 
just a, yeah. And inert. I love the word inert this season. And so, um, and, and I talked about my problems with Dolores all season. And I think both of those were just sort of feeding into this big, supposedly shocking reveal, which yeah, it surprised me, but like, was it worth it? Was that surprise worth it? And I would say no. And maybe other people would disagree, but yeah. All right. Well, I think we got to end it there. Uh, but Will Wallace, we are so grateful for you joining us on this episode and backing us on Kickstarter. And we're so grateful to all of our listeners um, for putting up with uh, our inadequacies in either defending the show or not being hard enough <laughs> on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we'll probably read emails for like another, you know week or so um so if you want to keep them coming into decoding westworld at gmail.com joanna will pass on the nice ones to me but will wallace <laughs> where can people find more of your work on the internet this week uh yeah you can find me on twitter and instagram uh at will writes good and you can follow my journey creating a comic book over at will com. all right thanks so much will and thanks to everyone listening right now for checking out the season of decoding westworld we'll see you for the next episode of Westworld, whenever that is, thanks for listening. See you guys later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.